0: Since you are on the Jim Cressman podcast welcome to the Jim Cressman podcast with me today we've got Clifton Murray of the tenors formerly known to many of you as the Canadian tenors now the tenors if you're unfamiliar they're a platinum and multi-platinum Juno award-winning operatic pop group um, Ish. Yeah, ish. They've built a substantial following around the world. Uh, Right now, Clifton is actually in the United States. He's talking to us from there. And uh, they perform for Oprah. They perform for the Queen. And uh, they are about to go across Canada on a Christmas tour with Tyler Shaw. And, Mm -hmm. man, you guys must be just so excited to get back out on the road after this forced convalescence we've all been dealing with.
1: Oh, yeah. We were just talking before the podcast here, before – Jimmy hit record, <laughs> and we were and we were saying just you know how and how different it is to do a virtual over a live experience, and just that that spiritual heart connect that really drives the why behind what we're doing in terms of connecting and feeling that emotion, that powerful. A uh, visceral experience with a live concert is so hard to replicate anywhere else in life, and and I'm just so excited to get back on the road. It gives me like a sense of worth, sense of self, um, and uh, like <laughs> when you're off the road, you gotta really stay on top of you know your your emotions and your energy because you know trying to duplicate or replicate that experience when you're off the road can be tough and there's a lot of, you know, rabbit holes you can go down as we were saying. But I think the cool thing about getting back on the road um, after this time away is having, I think, a, a, just a deeper gratitude for what we mm-hmm. do. And, you know, we've done it for 11 years. Um, and not to say that you can get jaded because we haven't at all. But I think just stepping away, you know, time away makes the heart grow fonder, that whole statement. You come back and you're like, wow, we have been so blessed to, you know, do what we do, what we love for so long, to have such a strong and passionate fan base that's there uh, whenever we go out on the road um, all over the world, and especially here in North America. Um, just just really recharge my batteries. Um, and I'm just so deeply grateful for, for the response that we got for, The single that just came out with Tyler Shaw, it's the number one most added song on hot AC and AC radio right now, which is just crazy to think. Um, So we're super stoked about that collaboration with Tyler. Uh, What a great dude. Um, We connected back at the Santa Claus Parade 2018. We were both uh, hosting the Santa Claus Parade from Toronto. And then we just hit it off and we just became buds. And, and then this year he's like, listen, Cliff, I'm doing a Christmas album. I want to do the biggest, you know, blowout Christmas song there is with all the bells and whistles. And I know you guys, you know, do Christmas in a big way. So what's the song? And we landed on Oh Holy Night, which really is the, <laughs> you know, the biggest Christmas song you can do. And um, his producer, uh, Pills, did a fantastic job taking a song we've already done we've already recorded and just giving it a new contemporary pop twist. So it's that blend of classical timeless Christmas with this new edgy uh, pop radio sensibility. And it's freaking awesome. I I love the track. I love what they did with it.
0: So back to the live side of it though, you're, you're right. There's this, this cathartic energy reciprocation between Mm -hmm. you and a live audience that just can't be replicated in the, um, the virtual shows or the drive-in shows, which we even did yeah. a bunch of last yeah. year with, Kiss, with Brett Yeah, he Kissel did a great and- job
1: on the Kissel, Kissel ones. Like he really tried, because with the wraparound semis, you know, trying to get as close as he yeah. could with the audience and making them feel a part of it and people hitting the horns and hanging out of the Sky Roos in their trucks. I, I thought it was pretty cool, like visually watching it, but yeah, definitely. It's not the same. Nothing beats getting right up close. You know, feeling that audience, that wave of emotion that literally elevates your experience. Like when we write a song and we record it in the studio, right? You, you're in there and you have all the time in the world to get the best take that you can come up with, that you can muster in that moment. And you put it on the album and you put it out there and then you take it on the road. And then like 10 songs in, you found these nuanced riffs and moments and ways of performing it that came from the audience, that came from that connection with them because the spirit was kind of working through you. Yeah. You were getting out of the way. You had nothing to do with the song anymore. And it was just, you were just a channel for the song to go through you. And, and you're like, man, I want to re-record this song, you know, just to bring that live emotion to it. So, so excited man, that, that we're back doing what we, doing what we love. And uh, the fans have been pretty vocal. And so we're, we're excited that we're, we're out there filing and it's great.
0: I think too that, that a lot of artists and you can correct me if I'm wrong when they're, when they're idle, they're stir crazy. And, yeah. and something about the discipline and routine of being on the road and yeah. lobby calls and, and just having a schedule feels right to many of them. And when they get off the road, that's, that's when they start having problems.
1: Idle hands does the devil's work. So <laughs> I got to keep so busy. True. I got to keep busy. Um, so, I how, do, how do
0: you occupy your time? Like, obviously, the last 18 months is a bit of an anomaly. Well, it's a massive it is, yeah. anomaly, but. Oh. but
1: One off, hopefully. Let's.
0: Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, please. Um, hopefully, or maybe you yeah. and I will be doing something different outside of the music industry. Right. It's just 24 wild. hour
1: live stream podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Kill the time.
0: But how did you how did you refocus that energy and that ambition um, when you knew you couldn't be out on the road and you couldn't receive that that fulfilling uh, feeling that, that really makes you feel whole? Uh, right. How did you occupy your time in a manner that felt productive to you?
1: So we're getting real here? Is this what we're doing? All right. That's what uh, we're doing. We're what we're we doing. have an
0: Oprah moment. Here we go.
1: <laughs> we're having a Crestman moment. No, it's good. <laughs>
0: One um, one millionth of the audience, but we're having an Oprah moment, damn it. Here we it. go.
1: Amen. Yeah. So so the truth is, like when I'm on the road, like you said, I'm like disciplined. I'm at my 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 best weight. You know, I'm working out five days a week. Uh when we show up to the venues we got we got a whole table set up for cold pressed juices. We got our smoothies prepped and ready. You know, we got our whole meal plan organized with the chefs that come in and it's all like heavy, healthy proteins and lots of vegetables and, and, you know, uh, you know, complex carbs. And that's something that is hard to replicate when you're home because you got to do it all on your own, which just (laughs) sounds a little, you know, like elitist as I'm saying it. But that's just the fact of the matter because you got to do everything you can to stay healthy. Because when you're touring as often as we are and as often as your artists are, um, you can't afford to get sick. You can't afford to have a couple off days or be down for a week because the machine is going and you got to get up on that stage. And there's nothing worse than getting up there and and being sick, having no voice, not being able to connect with the audience. Thank God for adrenaline that helps you get past when you have a couple off days. But um, there is that uh, regiment that I really love on the road. And, uh, and so do you try
0: to replicate that at home as much as possible so that you can stay on track and your physiology can contribute yeah. positively to your yeah. psychology?
1: So I'm like, a, I'm kind of a binge guy, like I'll go crazy, healthy, focused meditations, workouts, um, eating plans, smoothies, green juices for like an extended period of time, and then I'll kind of like drop off. And I'll just kind of like veg for like a couple weeks, three weeks. And um, the older I get, the less I can afford to do that. Uh, So I got to find that balance. And so when I'm home, um, I I try and do a little bit of um, intermittent fasting, which I find really helps. So try not to eat super late. These are like sort of we're getting granular here, but... You know eating late thing really kind of like sets 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 the body back
0: do you do like um, the starting eating at ten a m and stop eating at six p m or what's your? I'm,
1: more, I'm more twelve eight okay yeah twelve and, eight. um that's the hope anyway and then if I do creep into nine, I have to push it to one the next day and I'll have a coffee and then I'll wait for that first meal but that always helps and then the first meal of the day make sure it's not like a heavy sugar you know make sure it's like more protein if you can and some vegetables and then you can kind of in the second meal you can kind of do whatever you want and then a good uh, awesome smoothie with everything get yourself like a really good multi-purpose uh greens protein powder which just covers all the bases and i think that takes the pressure off of having to really think about everything you're eating just get one of those great smoothies that have everything you need in it with your omegas and, and your vitamins and Um, so did you
0: learn to do this like did you did you go out like most people when they're young and party and drink and 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 indulge in some of the temptations and then sort of realize that just can't be the way long term or did you always have that discipline
1: um no I didn't um I just I was an athlete my whole life um and I kind of rested on my lures a little bit because I was sort of like naturally athletic. I think early on, I played collegiate rugby. I was training for Mm -hmm. Olympics and high jump. I played a lot of basketball, Um, really enjoyed just being physical and active. And it was something that I was just naturally gifted at. And I was doing a lot of music. So I was always in shape, but I wasn't the guy like in the gym, like, you know, counting my reps, really getting focused on it, you know, isolating. And just, I was just kind of like always active. And it was it was a lot of fun. And then I had a, um, I had a shoulder injury in university, which uh, took me out of uh, rugby sort of career. That was the end of it. It was a paralyzed left deltoid. So this one, this little baby doesn't work here. And at the same time, diagnosed with uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a heart condition. Now, it's like super benign, but it took like 15, 20 years for the doctors to get to that diagnosis of so doing halter monitors every year and testing me and ECG tests and just making sure I don't drop dead suddenly. Cause that's sort of like the, that's the condition that you always hear about, Oh, this athlete was working out in the hot sun and he dropped dead all of a sudden finds out that he had the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So it kind of scared everyone into like having me like quit sports, which was kind of unfortunate, but some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Because it redirected me into music, right? Thank you, Garfield. Right. And uh, and that was, I think, the the impetus to really focus in on music as a career. I started in acting, and then I went. In, I was in like a gospel choir, and that kept my vocal chops. And I wanted to be a solo pop artist, and then the tenors called, and that's kind of when really the regiment of touring and the road and discipline really kicked in high gear. So and not until did I, I joined the tenors did I have a real consistent focus on health and stamina and and, and a regiment and diet and, and all that kind of stuff.
0: And that's also around your, the same. your athletic background probably lent itself quite quite handily to that new regime that you would put in place so that you could show up at your best every night. Now, yeah. did you ever have aspirations to be a solo artist or or when the tenors called, did that just feel like the right thing right from the beginning? Because I know some of the guys in the band all had solo careers at one point and they sort of had to resign their aspirations on that front to come together yeah. as this unit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think every artist that starts out in the music career is kind of thinking thinking about creating a path for their creativity to shine, you know, and, and that. <laughs> traditionally takes the path of a solo career in the mind uh i will say that being with the tenors the canadian tenors is like the greatest thing in the world it's it's the best thing in my life aside from my wife and kid and it's it fulfills me completely um early on i wanted to be like a john mayer singer songwriter on guitar i went on canadian idol uh i you know i got on the show and canada got to see what i did i was on the show with like carly Ray jepson I think Brian Mello won that year. And uh, it got a taste of what it's like to be in that kind of larger spotlight. And the final performance wasn't the greatest for me. Um, kind of oversang and really pushed my vocal too far. And I kind of cacked on the day. And it was mortifying, truly. And I, I basically failed in front of Canada. That's how I definitely received it, but it was my greatest lesson and it was my best teacher because ever since that moment I made it my goal and my my singular focus to be a recording artist, to get back to that stage once again and to prove to others and to myself that I'm better than what I did on that show. And so, you know, failure is it was my was my best teacher in that. So I always embrace um, moments of failure because in that you learn more than when you do when you win. And um, so, yes, I wanted to be a solo artist. Uh, but when the tenors called the, I was in this whole world of the power of yes. Cause I had just watched uh what the bleep do we know? <laughs> and, um, and I was like, whatever comes into your life, you embrace it because you don't really know what the path ahead is. You don't have all the answers. Right. You've got to trust the universe. Surrender. Is, exactly. Surrender to what's coming. I'm like, I've never heard of the Canadian tenors. I'm not a tenor. I'm not classically trained. I'm like a pop country, you know, singer. And, uh, and they're like, no, we want to complement the classical sound with a pop sound. And that with mosaic, that unique blend is what's going to create something different in, in the world. And I was like, all right, let's go for it. And immediately we took off. We were on Oprah and we were all like Dr. Phil. We opened for the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Uh, we sang the in memory on the Emmys, like, like within a year and a half. So many things that just happened all of a sudden. It was just like it was a rocket. And we've just sort of been riding that wave and slowly growing our fan base ever since. So there's really been no time to think about anything other than growing this this group, this gift. Because you know more than most how rare it is to make music not just a passion but a career and a successful one at that. So, man, it's it's. It, there, there is room in this group for solo moments and 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 bringing your songs to the table and having them being presented uh, with the harmonies of the group. So all of those feelings that are there are aren't like just sort of like sitting there like oh I want to be a solo artist. It's not like that in this group. We're just so passionate and and gr- grateful to be in a group with with the guys because you know we see solo artists doing it and it's tough man. It's all on you and. Sometimes you do it on your own, and we get to lean on each other, which is such a gift.
0: I think that uh, well, it's great to see your commitment to the group first off and and that obviously speaks volumes about the chemistry uh, between you guys and mm-hmm. and how you must all get along but i I think one of the things that really resonated with me is this idea that rejection and failure can be your most effective teachers in life and right. and how did you develop the self awareness to learn to process failure? that way because it it does often take the heart out of people who are more inclined to be um, motivated by external forces right if you're an artist you are always to some degree or another pandering to an audience you're trying to uh entertain people so how do you get to a place where you're like i failed but I learned enough from that that I'm going to be better rather than being devastated by it. Right.
1: Uh, That's a really sort of deep question. Like where did I learn to treat failure as a teacher, as opposed to beating me down and, and running away from my dreams? I think it comes from my mom and dad, honestly. Um, and just the absolute, you know, recklessness of their pursuits of the impossible. They had no right, you know, theoretically to move into the middle of nowhere and build a resort, um, from scratch, build a hydro dam in the middle of nowhere to create their own electrical grid to light up this resort floating on the water and go and find people to come to them. You can't get, there's no roads. There's nothing there. You got to Port McNeil,
0: British Columbia.
1: Yeah. And the resort was Nemo Bay resort. It's a wilderness adventure resort, but it started out like a little podunk floating lodge on the water. And like, it's it's like nothing. It's 400 bucks a day. Go fishing and my mom's going to cook and my dad's going to be guiding and I'm going to be, you know, Singing with my dad after dinner, old like Gordon Lightfoot and Stan Rogers songs, and this was and 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 the fact that this little resort with the owners that knew nothing about it, it became a five star world world renowned helicopter adventure resort, which is now rated the top twenty four unique lodges of the world by National Geographic Magazine. Is just like holy crow. So just having that um, unapologetic belief in yourself and willingness to just power forward, irrespective of, of what's in front of you, um, I think has just been instilled in us. And I had to get out there every night and sing with my dad in perf- in front of all these guests, and and it was it was scary because like I'm trying to keep up with him. I'm this young kid. And these are like these older guys, and then it was families and corporate people, and it grew over the years, and I sang at that resort from like 8 till 23 every summer with my dad. And I just sort of honed that love and that passion for performing and for singing, and um, I just just remember one, one time... Very specifically, we had, like, this world-renowned trumpeter in Jens Lindemann. He's a Canadian trumpeter. And this his concert pianist was in there. And they're like, Clifton, come on out and sing with them. And we're going to do Josh Groban's You Raise Me Up. And I was, like, super green. It's a tough song. It's in front of all these, like, big executives. I'm not prepared. I'm, I, I'm, like, shaking in my boots. I go into the kitchen. And I just remember saying to myself, this is a moment right here. You either give up, and you don't come out and be like, no, guys, I can't, I can't, I can't, while you're dying inside, and then you know you could never forgive yourself, or you suck it up, you get out there, you grab those eagle-sized wing nerves, and you channel it into your performance and let the adrenaline push you forward. And I think that's just sort of the decision I made. And then I learned from that, like, oh, just, just keep making that decision, and I think I was just, I'm also just desperate for people to love me. <laughs> you know, from day one, that's just sort of been something that I've always had to deal with. And I think as I get older and more mature, you know, you, you see the unhealthy side of it and you sort of find balance in life. But if I'm being totally candid, my Achilles heel early on was like a desperate need to be loved. And so if I can get out there and be amazing and show people that I'm something special, I'll maybe get that. Whereas if you hide away and shy away, you're never gonna get that. so that was also I think something that that propelled me being totally frank. Um,
0: but that that yeah. what you just described as a weakness is also an associated strength, right? right. because it did force you to uh, confront the imposter syndrome that was trying to infiltrate you. No. Uh, it did force you to learn that valiant failure is much more laudable than regret right yeah i'd rather look back it's better to
1: say i shouldn't have than i should have right absolutely that's always a motto that i i live by as well like i don't want to live with with that regret of what if and and i know it's sort of cliche but it's just things are cliche for a reason because they're true and i i always wanted to and i also wanted to you know have my parents be really proud of me as well. You know, I think that's something that we all want. And, you know, I want to get out there and make something myself. And, and I actually started in acting. And it's funny because acting is so brutal on the psyche. You go into 100 auditions, you're going to get like two. So that's a lot of no. And you have to make a decision. No is defeat or every audition is an opportunity to learn and grow to how to do right. it better. I mean, in the same 10-year period, you got to believe that you're going to have the same opportunity as everybody else. It may come at day one. It may come, you know, at the end of the ninth year. But you got to believe. you got to just keep moving forward and know that when the time comes, you're going to be ready and it's going to happen for you. And you got to believe. you got to believe. Mm-hmm. you got to believe. You know, it's, it's just this weird thing where you're kind of a little delusional but the delusion is sort of a magic pill that um people are going to knock you for but then in the end it actually could be a benefit so it's it's funny how everything really does have a light and a dark to it and it's really how you use it i think sometimes that determines what it becomes you know it's not
0: it's not <laughs>
1: It's not how hard you get hit; it's how hard you get hit and get back up. <laughs> there you like, go,
0: Rocky Balboa quote. Rocky Balboa. I love it. I love that it. Kind no of you're stuff right. It's like gets me fired up. You know, right? No, getting like- knocked down and getting back up, and and you almost need a uh, delusion as part of your psychic pack or your psychology package in order to uh, summon the energy to go back into the fray. And right, I think it's it was crazy. Winston Churchill that said something like, "Successful people." Uh, go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm.
1: Right. I love that. And I love that. That sounds yeah, like that's a crazy that same person. idea.
0: That sounds yeah.
1: like a crazy person to me,
0: but it totally, it totally right. does. And for most of us, it's like, how much of it is me failing and learning versus the universe trying to tell me that this isn't the right career choice for me. And then how do you delineate and discern one from the other? Right. And, When you're in acting or in music, where the rejection rate is just so high. And even when you start to make it and make a living at it, which you guys have, there are certain bars or achievements or goals that I'm sure that you guys get close to but don't quite Mm. achieve. But you still got to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're living in perpetual judgment and you're living in sort of an element of like having to get to that, just that next state. And then maybe then you'll feel safe. But that never comes. Like, I'll talk to like young singers, young actors, and they're sort of explaining the feeling that they're having. Like, oh, man, it's so, you know, I'm trying so hard. and I just got to like get to the next level. I'm like, I feel the same way. You know, <laughs> like, I just got a bigger mortgage and a bigger house. So the pressure is still there, you know, but it's like, I still live with that little voice saying one bad show and you're going back to bartending. But, you know, that's yeah. That's there's it's it's that voice that yeah it could be a negative but it could also be a positive and and we the tenors have been really fortunate that um, we've been surrounded by great people and we brought in great people to um, work with us in a group setting and in a solo setting like group therapy and um, these really incredible people that have worked in an executive level with executive teams but also other artists. And you work through the emotions of being in a group, uh, you know, of alpha males, and also uh, understanding the power of passing the baton, um, uh, connecting on a spiritual level, uh, embracing the differences as a strength, um, allowing competition to be a healthy impetus for growth as opposed to uh, a, a battle stance just how to see things you shift your perspective slightly and you so it's all
0: in how you see stuff really let's talk tactics and strategies on that we talked about your physical diet what's your mental diet like how do you stay on track do you have a coach do you read do you have certain you know do you, do you even go back and watch a rocky scene from a movie every now and then to, to pull up some motivation like what do you do on a daily basis yeah. to keep those doubts, fears, and, and, and worries at bay?
1: Meditation. Do you want to start from the easiest way to transition from a fear-based, panic-based lifestyle into a grounded sense of self um, that still has to go through those struggles, but does it with grace and a confidence from within? It's meditation. You 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 can work out till you're blue in the face. You can eat all the healthy greens you want, but if you're not connecting with yourself, your source, the true you in 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 here, um, you're always going to be just just off center. And and it's it's a it's a it's it's a it's work. It's a process. You got to work at it. You can you can you can do it for a while, and you can be totally grounded and focused. Then you can kind of stop it, and you can feel yourself veering off center. And we all have different ways. And different paths um, to get to source, but uh, meditation in all its forms is just a really great number one tip for anyone who's just trying to like navigate what's going on up here um, and and find what who that really is inside. Meditation's key. There's transcendental meditation. There's just breath work. Um, there's more intensive stuff that you could do, um, but yeah, number one, I would say, and then and find some great. Um, I love self-help books, man. They're, they all say the same thing in a different way. Truly. Like whether it's Deepak Chopra or Carolyn Mize or Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or, you know, whoever it is, um, uh, Hicks or, I mean, the list goes on and on. You find that they're trying to say the same way in their own style. And a lot of it is like, find what you love and do it with all your heart. And, Trust the universe a little bit and believe in yourself it's really simple it's not, but it can be the messaging can be so um yeah, um also, I think for me is is compassion um because when you have compassion for others, you have compassion for yourself um and that is such that is so sorely missed. I think right now we're getting a little more polarized and we're not going to go down that road but you know I think when you have that compassion first for someone even the guy that you think is the biggest dick and a, like a piece of shit you know they're they went through some crazy stuff that got them to that state they probably had a really tough life or a difficult upbringing or maybe they're dealing with something and they don't have the education or the understanding or or the parenting or whatever to give them the tools or even the mental and chemical uh, makeup to get past their own indeficiencies. And so it's so easy to judge. um, But what you judge in others, you're usually just judging in yourself. And it's they are a they are a projection of the stuff that you don't like about yourself. And it's funny how your your self looks for those insecurities around the world. And you're more tapped into that. And you may not be saying it cognitively, Like, oh, you know, I'm selfish and vain. But when you see some vain, selfish person, you're like, that guy, what a doozy. But it's actually a way of your body processing what you hate about yourself. So just sort of being aware of that voice, that voice in your head that is puking out negativity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Get a harness on that. Recognize that we're all one. We really are. And again, this is like deep, heady stuff, but... I believe that we're all one and we're all trying to get back to that connection with each other in some way. Um, I find we get close to it through music um, and that's why I love it so much. I didn't realize it when I got into this, I got into music for more selfish reasons, but as I grow in it, um, I understand what the music is doing for people with our fans. And we hear stories about, I was going to end my life and I heard your song. I'm like, my, my kid passed away, and I listened to your song to help me get through these pains. Or, you know, my simple stuff like I'm Empty nester now, and like your music get, brings me healing, and your shows, you know, bring me back to those times. And, and you, you have a deep sense, I have a deep sense of responsibility for, for that and for the music, and to really dig deep on the songs we choose and the songs we write and the message that we have. Our mantra has been now hope harmony hope healing and harmony and that is sort of what we we like to bring in in our music and it's not all serious we have a lot of fun we tell a lot of jokes you know a lot of self deprecating humor and our music is upbeat too and energetic there's a lot of healing
0: and humor too
1: yeah but within that within that music and the message is there like if you're looking for a little bit of that which i think we all are um come on out to a show you know, pick up a CD, download, stream a tune, and I think you're gonna find something that'll help you help your spirit. And that's the hope for us.
0: Yeah, I love what you said earlier too about compassion, because it really is the key to understanding others, developing empathy, developing the tools to evaluate your own psyche, right? And then and then, and here's here's the part that people don't want to hear, and they don't often tell you in self-help books, but you need to develop that that. That forgiveness externally and internally, because if you're on a journey of self improvement, you are gonna fuck up, you're gonna drop the ball, you're gonna meditate for a week in a row, and then at some point, something's gonna come up and you're gonna drop it and you're gonna get off that train for a while, but you gotta get yourself back on it. And the only way you can do that is by forgiving yourself and going, Hey, it's okay, I screwed up, but guess what? I'm back on the wagon, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's all we can do. It's not what you've done, it's like where you are right now, and what can you do today. And so, like, forgive it and, and just start up again. Um, you hear that a lot in AA too. A lot of people talk about that. It's just like you just keep going back to it, and 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 every time it gets a little bit easier. And um, uh, you asked me like, what are some of the things that we do? I mentioned meditation, but I also I think uh, gratitude is a really awesome word that is underappreciated, um, and it's sort of like sort of skipped over. Like, oh yeah, gratitude. I understand that. Well, I don't. I I've sort of like trying to do a deep dive on what gratitude is because it keeps coming up. And I think when you're on a journey and you're doing a lot of this, you know, the, this, the seeking work, these things keep popping up. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, go, go back to that. Focus on that. It's like, okay, gratitude seems to be popping up all the time. Why is it there? And, then, and in that work, in that process, I'm like, if you're in the state of gratitude, it's impossible to be depressed angry, irritable, sad, all these things, because gratitude is taking the foreground. So how do you get into a state of gratitude? Pick five things in your life. And just really think about how grateful you are for them. And look around at the most simple things in life that you have, and realize what it would be like without them. Water. <laughs> you know, yeah. Most of the people on this planet don't have it. You know, and we, are, it, it's just, it's a simple thing. But even family, or you know, friends—the the
0: health of your family and your loved ones, and yourself, right? Like that's Cute. one that we all take for granted. But it's like, Cute. how important is that? If your kid is sick, really sick, or if you're really sick, like Confucius says, uh, "A healthy man has a thousand wishes; a sick man only has one." Right? And it's like, Ooh, good line. We don't even. Think about that half the time, and it's <clears throat> it's so important. And journaling, I think, is really effective too, because if you're having trouble reconnecting with that that feeling of gratitude in your heart and soul, you can pull out your journal and read through what you've been grateful for, and that yeah, stimulate, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Some now, do you just do
1: part? do you just do like uh f- like free free like just not stopping, and just the only rule is don't stop writing, or do you actually think about what you're
0: writing? I have a little blue book right here and I have many of these, uh, but they are a combination of wisdom that I encounter in the real world Mm. and a gratitude journal. And I just sort of write down
1: anything that anybody says
0: that touches me. I write it down and I write my gratitude uh, components in there as well. And then, yeah, that's, that's a little book that goes with me everywhere. I I love that.
1: I think, um, Fraser in the group is is the the biggest journaler of all of us he's got these little red books and he's constantly writing in them and he's journaling and he's really uh, passionate about um, that work journaling uh, journeying and meditation and, and all that stuff so he's also a great source as well and he's funny he's got this very similar little red books with the black strap and he's always busting out writing it down I I, I use my iPad my iPhone. I have all these voice, voice, uh, voice notes sometimes. Um, but usually it's my notes and, I'm um, I'm usually writing down a thought and it ends up usually being like a lyric or an idea for a song or a concept that, uh, I'm, I'm building, you know, self-discovery around, you know, so, um, journaling definitely is, is a powerful tool. Um, for, for self-awareness.
0: Yeah, and I think too that, you know, it pertains to my own situation um, as, a, as a manager, as an agent, as somebody who works with artists all the time. I think you have to walk the walk. I think that if you want to talk about the effectiveness of these tactics and strategies, you have to have some real world experience with them mm-hmm. and actually implement them in your own life. Because it's really hard to convince someone to meditate for even 10 minutes a day. If you don't have if you don't have the real world experience with how it has profoundly affected you in your life,
1: yeah, right yeah yeah no for if you're listening to this, meditation has profoundly affected my life, so if that helps you at all getting over the hump, <laughs> take it from me and jim, do a little uh do a little homework on what meditation works for you and give it a shot and Here's a simple, simple start out tool for meditation. Just sit in silence because I know everyone's big excuse for not meditating is like, I can't not think. And meditation is not about not thinking. You know, it's, it's really about just focusing on one thing, like either your breath or in transcendental meditation, it's a mantra, which is just one word. So just sit there and just focus on your breath going in and out. And the second you find yourself thinking about something, don't judge yourself don't go oh shit i'm thinking again mm-hmm. just acknowledge it oh that's me thinking and go back to the mantra or go back to your breath and it's that simple and when you realize you don't have to get mad at yourself or think that you're failing because you're thinking um and that, that like everyone's going to think in meditation no matter what anyone says if they say otherwise they're lying to you <laughs> um just just bring yourself back to the breath or the one word and it's so simple and do it for 5 minutes and you'll feel better and then stretch it out and try and do it. If you can get to 20 minutes a day, that's great. Um, I just did uh, a 21 day meditation challenge where you have to, um, you have to do journaling, you have to do like drawings, you have to call up people that, you know, have hurt you or you've hurt or, or people that you care about and ask them their dreams and aspirations and biggest regrets in life. And it's, 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 it's hard to do, but you get some really incredible, Um, lessons out of it. And then you have to start your own um, uh, meditation. So you have to invite people to, and then you lead them. So you send them the meditation every day. You send them the the job that they have to do that day, whether it's like journaling for 20 minutes or doing this research or reading this book. And then you sort of get empowered because you have to be responsible for these people. So The Deepak Chopra 21-Day Meditation Challenge is a good place to start.
0: I'm going to ask you where you got it. And so so uh, people can just check that out on their own, right? They can Google that, Deepak Chopra. Just go to Deepak
1: Chopra um, 21-Day Meditation Challenge. Yeah.
0: The other other tactic that I would throw Mm -hmm. out there, too, for people who are listening, who, um, you know, most of the people who listen to this podcast, they're artists and creative souls have busy minds it's just they go hand in hand right if you're a creative soul you're always generating ideas and some of those ideas are malignant you know at times so (laughs) good word so starting small right like i I, another thing that i love to integrate in my own life and implement and i encourage other people is start with a daily minimum so I like the five minute idea, but listen, if for you, you have to start with one minute, set a timer on your phone. (laughs) Everybody has a phone and just silence for one minute. Focus on your breathing. Maybe the next day you get to 90 seconds, maybe at the end of a week, you're at five minutes, but at least you start the journey and you have to make that barrier of entry low enough to get people to get started. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, when I hear 20 minutes a day, even though I don't have a problem doing that now, there was a time years ago where I go, "What? I don't. I, I can't sit in silence for 20 minutes a day and breathe. You know that's not going to work." But if somebody yep. says, "Well, what about 60 seconds?" It's like, "Well, I can do that." You know.
1: That I hear that so often. It's crazy. Um, yeah. A breath work is another one. Uh, four seconds in, two yeah. second hold, eight seconds out.
0: Two Are second you a Wim Hof fan?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Corey, cold showers every morning, man.
0: Good man. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's it works yeah, too. It slows the heart rate down, makes you healthier. Um, it clears up the cobwebs, it wakes up the face, and uh it's a good it's a good one. It's tough. I I do like a regular shower and then I finish with a one minute cold blast or thirty seconds or however long I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's how I get my day going. Fraser does it as well. Um, he's a big Wim Hof guy, uh, it, but it works. It sounds terrible, but you actually start loving it because nothing wakes up your mind and your body and your face like a cold shower. <laughs> That's just like immediate. You think like getting a hot hot shower to warm things up, like it, no, it, it, I think it does the opposite. You got to blast blast yourself with that cold cold air and cold water. I do like the cryo, but I don't think it works the same. Like cold water is way better, I find. You know, yeah, we do that. Cold like... water
0: just has a as a penetrative effect to you where it just like hits you so much harder than the cold air. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, listen, that. anything is good. That's the thing that, that people should take away from this. Like right. if you do 30 seconds of a cold shower or you're maybe you fall in love with cryo and you've got a place that you go to regularly, it's all good. But yeah. there are as you start to refine your journey, you'll realize that there are some things that just feel a whole spirit too.
1: Yeah, and and just do what works for you, find your find your path. There's so many opportunities out there. There's so many paths to go down. So I uh, yeah, yeah, you don't have to do what we're saying, but it'll yeah. hopefully send, you, send send you somewhere that you find something that works for you. Um I like Wayne Dyer. He's a really cool guy. Uh Confucius, you know, that you just sort of like paraphrase his line, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Like that's like the most popular, you know, line from Confucius and sort of Wayne Dyer does like a modern day interpretation of it. And it's very valuable, um, whether you're an artist or you're an executive or you're just someone dealing with life and family and whatnot. He's really cool. And and if you're not big onto like reading, but you like to run, throw on, you know, uh, the, the um, throw it in your ears and, you know, the uh, speaking version and just listen to it on, on your run. And that way you can feel like you're doing something or do it when yes. you're driving. And you learn some lessons as opposed to sitting there with a the book that some people just can't,
0: can't do. So yeah. I like the uh, audio consumer of audio books. They're, they're my saving grace now, you know, yeah. workouts running. I mean, sometimes I still like music obviously for a workout. If it's What uh, gets
1: you so jacked?
0: Uh, Well, thank you. First off. Um, yeah, I, you. I, I have a pretty hardcore regime. So I, uh, yeah, I rolled so. roll jujitsu. Um, wow. I do these small, like thirty-minute hit workouts, uh, Mm. high-intensity workouts where there's basically no break. Um, I And then then I love to do sauna workouts. I just uh, installed a new sauna in my house. I'll heat that up to two hundred degrees. I'll go in there and swing a kettlebell for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and then I'll either get submerged in cold water or last night I went out and rolled around in the snow in my yard.
1: Yeah. you're serious. Forget Wim Hof. Go to Cressman.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun. Well, I found, wow. I found when I became a father, I mean, I was always athletically inclined and I used to box and wrestle and play football in high school and all that stuff. But but when I started having kids um, nine years ago, I really found that I needed to find a place to channel any anxiety so I could show up and be the best dad possible. And so oh, that really was my impetus to, you know, just hammer it out and go for it and try all these challenges physically and mentally and and force myself into a place where, where I can be proud of myself, you know? And if you're proud of yourself, it, it alleviates insecurities. And if you alleviate insecurities, you alleviate anxiety. So yeah, whole process. And then
1: you alleviate in others because you remove the element of concern when people are in your presence. And that's the magic of being grounded in yourself is like, as soon as people see that you have no concerns, they can stop worrying about their own. But if you come out, especially if you're on stage and you hold that element of like, Oh shit, people pick up on that. And then they get, they get tense. And no one wants to sit in a concert for two hours and feel tense. You know, they, they, they'll go to a horror movie to do that, you know, but to remove that element of concern, I'm quoting Jim Carrey. um, But that's such a magical thing too. It's just sort of like give people, to create the space for people to walk into this element of no concern and it's a magical thing that's addictive that people want to come back to so as an artist as a performer I think um, that's really cool and I think Kissel does it really well too in his inner in his, inter, in, in, in his um, social media and on stage he's just so like welcoming and so warming and so confident and so fun and so bubbly that uh, it's just infectious and people want to be around that energy and I think the guy that does it definitely... best of all yeah
0: yeah, he definitely likes to be liked, but he is also sincerely one of the nicest people, most thoughtful people. Yeah. Um, he's just a beauty. So grateful to work with that guy. Sorry, yeah. you were going to say the person who does it best. Garth Brooks, undoubtedly, man—the
1: greatest entertainer, performer of all time. Like the guy, have could you met a him? Of a hundred uh, million people like if the, if the venue was big enough a million people would show up to that even now. have you met garth i have yes i have we did you a interacted gig. with him we did a gig in minnesota and it was a big charity gig and he was one of the artists there was like six artists it was us and garth and i'm like i think lionel richie and um I'm forgetting the others because my idol is, is Garth Brooks and that's the only guy I ever wanted to meet. And we're finally at this venue and I'm like having a conversation with him and he was just such a regular guy. That's the crazy thing is when you build this guy up and you finally meet him and he's just so cool and calm and talking about family and everything. And it was around soundcheck we were chatting. And then uh, I was literally the next, rest, rest, next two hours I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, opening up for Garth Brooks. This is crazy. I can't believe it. And then he got a call from his home. I think it was Oklahoma or something. And his daughter had a soccer accident. And he just drove to the jet and flew home and didn't do the gig. And I was like, what? No. But family first. That's Garth. Made me love him even more. So that was, a, that was a pretty big pinch me moment. My dad's always like, did you get him up to Nemo Bay? I'm like, that. i'm not gonna come in
0: hot right away no matter what i do pitch him hard oh every time
1: i tell it my dad i met someone awesome whether it's like greg ski or who who knows some king or prime minister or russian oligarch he's like did you tell him about nemo i'm
0: like
1: no dad that wasn't my first thing out of my mouth (laughs) i love it though it's
0: Parents salesman,
1: so. man. Consonant salesman. Yeah,
0: yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So as it pertains to the tenors, one of the things that I really admire about what you guys have been able to do musically is, is you've been able to take this, this genre of operatic pop and, and make it cool and make it relatable for younger audiences and and people who yeah. are from an older generation who gravitate to that kind of music naturally yeah, because yeah, it right. speaks to a time in their life. And, and you guys have done a good job at separating yourself from the Debo's and the other acts out there that might say that they're sort of part of that genre. Yeah. How have you set yourself apart in your own estimation? Because that's my evaluation from yeah, the inside looking at.
1: No, it's a great evaluation. I appreciate that. I mean, first of all, we're not huge fans of operatic pop, um, but I guess if it keeps coming back around, we just have to accept that that's part of people's interpretation of what we do. We are... Uh, there is operatic elements. There is pop. There's also folk and rock. We do Queen. We do Dylan and Leonard uh, Cohen. And we also do classical. We do some musical theater like songs that are like timeless. And and but I think what really separates us is the fact that it is pop pop artists like full on. I'm not classically trained. I know nothing about opera. Um, And but, you know, Victor is incredibly versed in that world, did that in Florence in Italy for six years, could be soloing at the Met if he wanted, but he's a part of this group and what a gift that is for us. You know, and Fraser kind of goes between both worlds. He's, he's pop sensibility, but he's also classically trained and he was in like a 12 part a cappella group. So his like understanding of like, you know, really complex harmony is pretty incredible. And uh, so I benefit from, from that immensely. And, uh, but what sets us apart, I think is that, but also our songwriting. So we're, we're all songwriters. We have been our whole lives. You know, I've been writing songs since I was 14 and singing them at the guest in Nemo Bay. And uh, that was my focus was to be a recording artist with the songs that I write. And as the, as the career and the tenors evolved, we just kept bringing more and more of that to the table and the response was very strong from the label and from the artist, from the fans. So we just kept doing it where the first album, I think we didn't have any originals. The second one, we had, I think two, and then it was four and then it was eight. And um, to where we've had conversations of a full original album and we're doing like full on like like luminaires, like Sons of Leon types music, you know, with the floor on the floor and, and like the heavy guitar and the drums and um, and that. And then we've also like done full on dance music. People like some of our fans know, like Drowning in Love, like it's it's a freaking club dance song. Like you're not going to hear. Well, that's one
0: of the great things about what you guys have built in terms of a brand. You're not you're not defined and confined to a no. format that needs to sound a certain way. You have the ability to just gravitate to great songs and let the production take that song wherever it goes.
1: And it's cool in a live experience because you're not going to hear the same like classical crossover ballad over and over and over again. You know, you're going to hear some like the most epic classical songs like from Turandot, you know, Nessun Dorma. And you're going to hear like this, like four on the floor driving upbeat awesome like summertime jam and you're going to hear like your favorite musical theater dude then you're going to hear like leonard tone bob dylan and and all these like great songwriters and and we're going to do our twist on it in a unique way and um a lot of inspirational songs uh, with a great positive message and so like there's a lot of hills and valleys in our show and i think that's why our live show is so strong um and has had legs over the years is because when people come to a show they leave like Really transformed and, and, and the response is great and we come back to that demo next the next year and and, and there's more people showed up because word of mouth has been great so uh, yeah, I think just not like trying to be locked into a certain style has really been beneficial um, and opening ourselves, uh, opening ourselves up to a lot of different collaborations which is one that I want to bring up right now with you, Jim. I think that you will dig this. I have a feeling you're going to like this. So today, right now, as we speak, we just released our single with NBC's The Voice winner, Jake Hoot. He is a big country singer from Nashville. And what a great killer voice. He won The Voice. He's on Kelly Clarkson's team. And... He had been a big fan of the Canadian tenors for all these years. And when he, when he was on the f- finale of the show, he, they were going to sing Whiskey Lullaby, him and Kelly Clarkson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Kelly Clarkson said, hey, congrats, you won the show. We need to do it, a song, but it's got to be a Christmas song. And he suggested that they duet our rendition of Sarah McLaughlin's winter song we did it with Sarah McLaughlin on our album and we rearranged it and we gave Sarah this whole new part. Well, she kind of created it, I should say, but we arranged this duet of her song and he loved that version. And he brought that version to Kelly into the band and everyone loved it. So they performed that song on the finale of, of the voice He wins the show. We obviously like, you know, shoot him over, you know, DMs and social media, giving him some shout outs. And we kind of kept this relationship going for a little bit. We did some like fun social media stuff. And he just reached out a couple months ago and he says, I'm doing my first Christmas single. I want to write it with you guys. Are you down? And we're like, absolutely. And so we're talking about it. And he sends us this this song that was partially done that he'd created with this other guy in Nashville, um, Marty Gibbs, G-O-E-T-Z. And we took it and we did some rewriting on it. We arranged some things. We um, uh, and so we did some back and forth. And he loved our our changes uh, lyrically and melodically. And we just recorded it last month in Nashville, and we released it today. It's been out for about six hours, and it's called "When When Christmas Is Come and Gone." And it's a really like soul-stirring song about a man about your age that goes back to his childhood home brings his young kids, tucks them in and is walking down the hallway and seeing all the pictures of his childhood. And maybe his parents aren't there anymore. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, maybe he misses his grandparents, but he reflects on what the really important, what's powerful about this time of year. It's about being around the family um, and reflecting on those that may have passed on. And, and those are the gifts that keep coming around every year. It's this opportunity to come together as family and appreciate what we have and what we had. And, Uh, it's great. And so we recorded a a music video and a live performance that's going to air on Kelly Clarkson's show December 4th, I believe. So it's again, it's like it's a country tune. I mean, it starts with Jake Hoot and it's like full country. And so we got to do ourselves a country song. So we're going to be pushing it to country radio here really soon up in Canada. I hope you guys get into it. Check it out. Um, It just came out now and we're really super stoked. And uh, passionate about this song and our collaboration with with Jay Coot when winter has when Christmas has come and gone.
0: So oh, congratulations on that and the big hit single that's out right now with Tyler Shaw and the uh, Canadian tour. You guys are the first to pull Ray back with a major tour uh, in these crazy times. And want you to stay healthy. Wish you luck with it. Thanks for taking the time to do this today, man. It was a pleasure and an honor getting to meet you. And yeah, know un- you.
1: unexpected pleasure, myself, Jim. You're you're a great dude, and you're you're putting out a lot of positive energy in the world, man. So I, I really appreciate what you do.
0: Look forward to seeing you in person one of these days.
1: Amen, brother, my best, Bye.